0: Good morning. It's good to see you here today. I hope you'll take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Jude. That's where we will start this morning, the book of Jude. Go all the way to the back of the Bible. The last book is Revelation. Then you make one left-hand turn and you'll find Jude, this short little letter. The book of Jude. We are in a short series of messages called Saved, Sure, and Secure. What could be better Than being saved, unless it is being saved and being sure you're saved. What could be better than being saved and being sure that you're saved, unless it is being saved, being sure you're saved, and knowing that you are secure in that salvation? Today we come to the question Can a saved person ever be lost? Can a saved person ever be lost? We've been working our way toward this question for the last two weeks. You can't really talk about the security of our salvation without understanding the nature of salvation. You can't really talk about the nature of salvation until you understand the nature of lostness. So that's where we started, just how lost is lost. And we saw, boy, it is worse than we thought. Lost is, is to, means that we are separated from God, hostile in mind toward God, engaged in evil deeds. We're the enemies of God. The wrath of God abides upon us. We are condemned in our sins and we are hopeless to do anything about our situation. We are lost without hope and without God in the world. Lost is lost. And then we talked about the nature of salvation. What does God do when he saves someone? What does it mean to be saved? And we saw 32 things that God does in the heart and the life of one who repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. 32 actions that God performs. And we saw it's, it's better than we imagined. Being saved is better than we imagined. And now today, now we're ready, better, better prepared to deal with the question, can a saved person ever be lost? Just to get us started, we're in Jude 24. Verse, uh, Jude verse 24 says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy to the only god our savior through jesus christ our lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever amen notice again verse 24 god our savior is able to keep you from stumbling you don't keep yourself from stumbling he keeps you from stumbling he is able to keep to make you stand in the presence of his glory Blameless with great joy. He is able to do that. To keep you from stumbling, He's able to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. So today, we're just going to look a little bit at what the Bible says about this precious doctrine the security of the believer. Now, let me say that we're just going to scratch the surface. Last week, we scratched the surface. 32 things on the outline, but that was just scratching the surface. That's all that would fit on the page. But we were just scratching the surface of the riches of His grace. Well, today, we're just going to scratch the surface again. There's so much more that we could say about this subject. There's so much more to know, but we're just going to scratch the surface. We're not dealing with a text. We're going to do some Bible hit and run this morning. We're going to hit a text and move on to the next one. So we're going to be in several passages, so keep your Bibles open. And uh, let me also make this disclaimer as well. And this is on the outline. Let me make this disclaimer. This, we're talking about the security of the believer, the doctrine of eternal security or the security of the believer. Sometimes it is popularly summarized as once saved, always saved. Preacher, do you believe once saved, always saved? Yes, I do. I believe with all my heart. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. But now let me be clear. Once truly saved always saved. Not once baptized, always saved. Not once joined the church, always saved. Not once walked down the aisle, said a prayer, signed a card, always saved. No, once truly saved, always saved. The problem today is not with Christians who have lost their salvation. The problem is with so many people who call themselves Christians who are not Christians. They've never been saved to start with. And either through deception or self-deception or delusion or through ignorance, they don't know what we're talking about, and they've never been saved to begin with. That's the problem. Well, we'll deal with that more later on. So if you have your outline, here we go. Let me give you six reasons to know that a saved person can never be lost. Once truly saved, always saved. Here's the first one, the permanent nature of salvation. The permanent nature of salvation. Can a saved person ever be lost? No, because of the permanent nature of salvation. And this just takes us back to that whole sermon last week. We saw last Sunday that salvation is not membership in the God club that God may revoke and kick you out if you don't act right. It's not a ticket to heaven that God may refuse to validate if you don't act right. Salvation is is a supernatural transformation that God performs in the heart and the life of one who repents and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual, eternal, supernatural miracle of the highest order. God changes us. In, in John chapter 1, Paul, uh, John uses the phrase born of God, that we are born not of the flesh nor the will of man. We are born of God. He uses that phrase a lot in First John that we are born of God. In John three, Jesus called it being born again, born uh, uh, born from above. In First Peter one twenty three says, "You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding Word of God. We are born again. Being born again is not a decision to live differently. It's not adopting a set of beliefs or behaviors. Again, it is a miracle." that God performs, and that God changes us. He transforms us. We were one thing, now He makes us into something else. Let me just kind of summarize some of what we saw last week. We saw that we are recreated. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. We are recreated, we are regenerated, made alive in Christ. That our old man is crucified with Christ, we receive a new nature. We saw that we are transformed from sinner into saint. We saw that we are justified and made righteous, that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. We saw that we are indwelt by the Spirit, that we are sealed by the Spirit, that we, are, uh, we saw that we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We are adopted as children of God. We saw that we are united with Christ, identified with Him. All of this, I mean, that's just part of the miracle of the new birth. Now, for you to be saved and then lost again... Means God would have to reverse all of that. So God would have to unregenerate you. He would have to unrecreate you. He would have to, uh, uh, your new nature would have to die, and the old man who was crucified with Christ would have to be resurrected. The righteousness of Christ that was imputed to you would have to be unimputed from you, and then your guilt and your sin would have to be reimputed back to you. You would be transferred back from instead of being in the, in the kingdom of His beloved Son, you'd have to be transferred back into the domain of darkness. You would have to be unjustified. You'd have to be unforgiven, unredeemed, unadopted. The Holy Spirit would have to unindwell you. It would have to leave you. you have to be unbaptized out of the body of Christ. I mean, all of these things, everything that God did in you to save you, God would have to undo to unsave you. And nowhere do you see anything like that in the scriptures. Nowhere is any kind of language like that ever used. You don't see any, any hint that God would reverse the miracle of the new birth. Now, if it's just about you trying to do better, you might adopt a set of behaviors and then try hard and then forget it. I can't do it. If it's about adopting a set of beliefs, you, you might turn around and reject that set, set of beliefs tomorrow. That's not the new birth. The new birth is a supernatural transformation, an eternal spiritual miracle that God performs when you say yes to Jesus Christ. And nowhere in Scripture does it ever hint that God unperforms that miracle, reverses it. We don't go back. It's the permanent nature of salvation. So you see, last week helped us get ready for today. Here's another reason we can know that we are safe in Christ, we are secure in our salvation, and that is the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. So there's the permanent nature of salvation and then the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 1 says this, "...for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near." Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Move down to verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. I want you to see, first of all, that Christ's sacrifice was perfect In the Old Testament, God gave a system of worship to His people whereby they could maintain fellowship with Him. Part of that system of worship was animal sacrifices. Now, there are other offerings and other sacrifices people could make and bring to God, but an important component of that worship system was animal sacrifices. Uh, Bulls and goats and rams and so forth would be slaughtered, and their blood poured on the altar, and the animal given to God as a sacrifice as a picture of the atonement of sin. God's people sinned. Blood would atone or cover that sin. But what the writer of Hebrews wants us to know is that the blood of bulls and goats never did take away sins. That was a shadow of something to come. That was a shadow. The substance is Jesus Christ. So all those animal sacrifices that pictured the atonement for sin... to to make it possible for uh, people to have fellowship with God, all that pointed to Jesus Christ. We don't bring lambs to church anymore because one day God brought His lamb to church. And Jesus is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. The writer of Hebrews, what we just read, he's saying in that Old Testament system, Man, they had to keep making sacrifices all the time, year in and year out. It never stopped. The altar sacrifices were never allowed to go out because there's always sin to be atoned for. And in his priestly function in in the temple, there was no place for the priest to sit down. There were no chairs in the holy place. There was no couch to lounge around on because his work was never finished. So, you know, it's kind of like, have you ever read your shampoo bottle? If you follow the directions, you never get out of the shower. Rinse, lather, repeat. Rinse, lather, repeat. You know, that's how that goes. Well, that's the way this old sacrificial system was. Sin, sacrifice, repeat. Sin, sacrifice, repeat. Year after year, day after day. But Jesus Christ is the once for all sacrifice. That's what we just read. He is the once for all sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins, but the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. His sacrifice, what did he say from the cross? It is finished, paid in full. His is the perfect, once for all, sacrifice that atones for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for those of the entire world. Not only is his sacrifice perfect, but notice that he perfects the saints. His sacrifice perfects the saints in verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected for all time, those who are sanctified. So in Christ Jesus, we are perfected, sanctified. Now, it doesn't mean you're perfect yet. One day you will be. You're not there yet. But one day we'll be complete, perfect. We'll see Him as He is and we'll be made like Him. His perfect sacrifice perfects the saints. And His is a perfect sacrifice. So, we have the permanent nature of salvation. We have the perfection of Christ's sacrifice. Thirdly, we have the predestination of the saints. The predestination of the saints. Another reason to know that we are safe in the Lord. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, familiar promise. We love this verse. Romans 8 and verse 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, if you ever want to kill a party, just ask the question, hey, what do you believe about predestination? Oh, here we go. (laughs) And predestination was those trigger words because a lot of people mean it. They, they use it in different ways, and it means different things, and, and so forth. Brother Jeff, do you believe in predestination? I sure do, uh, and you should too, because the Bible teaches it. But probably not the way you think. Notice here, predestination, the word predestined just means marked out beforehand. A pre-planned plan. God has predestined those whom he foreknew. He predestined, as, as believers, what did he predestine us for? To become conformed to the image of his Son so that, we would be the first, first, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. God's predestined plan, his predetermined plan, his marked-out beforehand plan for every believer is that we would be conformed to the image of his Son. That's predestination. So God has preplanned a plan. If you know Christ, you're going to be like Jesus. And that's a work in progress now. That's what we call sanctification And then it's a hope that we have, what we call glorification. It's what we anticipate. Right now we're being sanctified. God is maturing us, making us more and more like Jesus. We're a work in progress. One day we'll see Him as He is. We'll be made like Him. And all the promises of our salvation that attend salvation will be glorified and consummated, that's glorification. But that's what I want you to see. We are predestined to be made like Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 1. I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you, that's God, God began a good work in you and he will perfect it. He will complete it. He is faithful to complete what he started. He's going to finish the job. He's going to make you like Jesus Christ. Now, for you to be saved and then lost again means that, well, God didn't finish the job he started, God wasn't faithful to get it done. <laughs> God, God didn't, God didn't his, his predetermined plan was thwarted and not accomplished. Well, that's not going to happen. So we know we are secure in Christ because of the predestination of the saints. Here's a fourth reason we are secure in Christ. That's the prayers of the Savior. The prayers of the Savior. Look in verse chapter 7, Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Hebrews 7 and 7, 25. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save forever. The old King James would say he's able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save completely, utterly, forever those who draw near to God through him. Remember, that's the only way you can come to God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. So you come to God through Jesus Christ, and He is able to save you forever, utterly, completely, to the uttermost. But now look, I mean, we can stop there, but that's not the end. Since He always lives to make intercession for them, He's able to save us to the uttermost because He makes intercession for us. The theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. I mean, you can just summarize it in one sentence Jesus is better. That's the book of Hebrews. He is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He is a better sacrifice. He's a better high priest. He mediates a better covenant and acted on better promises. That's the whole theme of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Jesus is a better sacrifice. We saw that already. The once and for all sacrifice that actually does atone for our sins. And he is the better high priest. We are sinful human beings. God is holy and without sin. We need a high priest. We need an intermediary. We need a mediator. We need a go-between. We can't just waltz up to a holy God, eternal God. We're mortal, sinful human beings. We need a go-between. Jesus Christ is the go-between. He is our high priest. The definition of a priest, the function of a priest is to represent God to man and represent man to God. Jesus does that. You don't need a human high priest I'm not your priest. Jesus is our high priest. He's a better high priest, so we come to Him. He is such a better high priest, He makes intercession for us, and because He makes intercession for us, He's able to save us for the uttermost. That's His job as a high priest. So He is interceding for us. He's praying for us. Jesus is praying for you. That's good to know, isn't it? He's praying for you. He is interceding for us. For us to be saved... And then lost means that his prayer was ineffectual. His intercession was ineffective. It was insufficient. It didn't, it didn't get the job done. might have saved me, but it didn't keep me saved. No, what does it say? He's able to save us completely, eternally, to the uttermost. He's able to save us forever because he's a perfect high priest, ever making intercession for us. There's another reason to believe that we are secure in the Lord, the prayers of the Savior. Number five, the present tense of salvation. The present tense of salvation. Let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I told you we're going to be doing some scriptural hit and run. John chapter 3 and verse 36. John three thirty six. Jesus said, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Notice the verb tense. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. You already have it. You believe in Jesus, it's already yours. Not one day you'll get it. One day you might receive it. No, you already have eternal life. He who believes in the Son has it. Notice also the present condition of the one who does not believe. The wrath of God already abides on him. He that believes is already condemned. He that believeth not is already condemned. The wrath of God already abides on him. But the one who believes the Son... He already has eternal life. It's a present possession. Chapter 5, John 5 and verse 24. John five, twenty-four. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You already have it. It's a present possession. You already have eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. In Romans 8, Paul said, there is therefore now No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There's already now no condemnation. If you're not in Christ, you're already condemned. If you are in Christ, you're already not condemned. (laughs) There is now no condemnation. Romans 8.30, we read a moment ago. Whom He predestined, He called, whom He called, He justified, whom He justified. These He also glorified. Past tense. In the heart and mind and purpose, the counsels of God, we've already been glorified. Now, we haven't experienced that yet. We're we're, we're temporal, we live in time, but with God, it's already happened. We saw this in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says that He has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. We are already seated with Him in the heavenly places. We, We haven't really experienced that, but as far as God is concerned, it's already happened. We are seated with Him in the heavenly places. Here's the point. Eternal life is not something you get later. You have it now in Christ Jesus. Eternal life is not going to heaven when you die. Eternal life is to have a personal relationship with the living God that shapes and defines your eternal life, your, your entire life. That's how Jesus defined eternal life in John 17:3. This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So eternal life is to know God in a vital dynamic relationship to have God's life in you that's eternal life you have it now in Christ Jesus oh and when you die you go to heaven that's not eternal life that's just a fringe benefit of having eternal life it's a present possession well the prayer we have the present tense of salvation and then we have the protection of God's possession this is the best part i save the best for last how do we know that we are secure in Christ, our salvation is secure? Because of the protection of God's possession. Let's go to John chapter 6. John 6 and verse 37. John six thirty-seven: All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, this is Jesus speaking, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. All the Father gives to me is going to come to me, and the one who comes to me, Jesus said, "I will not cast out. I will not turn Him away. I will in no wise cast him out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me." Move down to chapter 10. Chapter 10 and verse 20. Let's start with verse 26. John 10:26. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Unbelievers are not his sheep. You don't believe. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. We could stop right there. I mean, that's a mouthful right there. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. That's the new birth. Not, not walking down the aisle, not getting baptized, to know him. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. Now, if you could ever perish, how can you never perish? <laughs> if you could be saved and then lost again, that means you could perish. You would perish. Well, if he, he said you, you'll never perish. If you could never perish, then how could you ever perish? Now, I give eternal life to them. They can never perish. Oh, But wait, there's more. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So here's Jesus saying, my sheep, they are mine, and they are in my hand. Nobody can get them. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So we are kept by the Son. We are kept in the hand of the Father. I and the Father are one. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. We talked about that last week. We're sealed by the Spirit. That speaks of ownership, security, authenticity. 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn with me there. Let's go to first Peter 1 three. First Peter 1.3. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So you're born again by the mercy of God. There's an inheritance reserved for you which will never fade away, reserved in heaven. Verse 5 who are protected, you, the saved, you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You're saved by the mercy of God. There is an inheritance reserved in heaven for you, and you are protected by the power of God for a salvation that will be revealed, fulfilled, glorified at a later time. Notice, you don't protect yourself, you're being protected by the power of God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, For which cause I suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I'm not able to keep what I've committed to him. I mean, if it were up to me, I, I'd drop the ball by lunchtime. <laughs> I can't keep what I've committed unto him, but I know he's able to keep. What have committed unto Him? What have I committed unto Him? My life, my death, my eternal destiny, everything I am, everything, everything. I've committed everything to Him. He's able to keep. God does the keeping. That's the best part. We are sealed by the Spirit, speaking of ownership. We are kept in the Savior's hand. We are kept in the Father's hand. He, we are protected by the power of God. And He's able to keep what I've committed unto Him. One old preacher said it this way. He said, when you get saved, first of all, you are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, what well, can wash away my sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You're washed in the blood, and then the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you, so you're wrapped up in the righteousness of Christ. Then you're kept in the Savior's hand. He said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Not only that, but then you are kept in the Father's hand, and he is greater than all. And then that whole business is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. For you to be saved and you to be lost again means that the devil is going to have to violate the seal of the Holy Spirit, pry open the hand of the Father, and He's greater than all. Then he's going to have to pry open the hand of the Son, the Savior. And then he's going to have to get through the righteousness of Christ and waller through the blood of Jesus, and by then the devil would be saved. <laughs> so you're safe in Christ Jesus. God's protection of His own possession. It's not ours to keep. We're protected by His power. You're saved by God's grace and God's power. And the same grace and power that saves you is the same grace and power that keeps you. The protection of God's own possession. Well, those are six reasons to know I can be saved, I can be sure I'm saved, and I can be secure in that salvation. Now, not everyone believes in what I uh, just presented to you this morning. Not everyone believes this. We'll talk about some objections to this later on. Before this morning, let me show you why this is so good, why this is so precious. Some of the practical outworkings of being saved and sure and secure. One, there is freedom in Christ Jesus. When I know I'm saved and secure in Christ, there is a freedom. Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. There is a freedom in knowing he's able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. It's not my job to stay saved. (laughs) He'll keep me saved. There's a freedom in that. Not only is there freedom, there's a joy. Jesus said, I want, I'm going I'm, to give you my joy. My joy is going to be made full. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. There's not much joy in anxiety. I think I'm saved. I hope I'm saved. What if I'm not saved? What if I lose it? What if I don't make it through? What if I, what, what if I fumble? What if I what, what, what if... That's anxiety. That's fear. There's joy in knowing he's able to keep that which I've commended unto him against that day. I am secure in the Lord. He's got me. There is a freedom. There is joy. Not only that, we can also say that that there is a, a, a thriving. There is a thriving in Jesus. When I know that I'm secure, I can progress in my walk with the Lord. I can progress in that In in, in spiritual maturity. and the book of Hebrews, one of the things the writer of Hebrews fusses at his audience about is that they they haven't progressed. He says, listen, you guys ought to be teaching by now. Instead, you all are still babes. You should be eating the meat of the word. You're still drinking the milk of the word. You guys ought to be further down the road. What is going on? When I know that I'm safe in Christ, I can can move forward. Do you all ever do this? When we try to leave town... It takes us forever to get out of Clarksville. It's a, that's the hardest part of a trip. We'll load the car. We get in the car. We have prayer before we leave because I've had enough car trouble and incidents on the road. Not to take it for granted. So we'll pray. Oh, Lord, bless this old car. Uh, help us not to have car trouble. Keep us safe on the road because it's crazy out there. So we have a little prayer. And then before we go... Did you turn off the stove? No, I thought you turned off the stove. Okay, I had to go in, make sure the stove's off. Then we come back out to the car, start it up. All right, here we go. I don't think you turned off the coffee pot, did you? I didn't either. Got to go back in, turn off the coffee pot. Y'all ever do that? Have to go in four times, then we leave, we get half a block down the road. Oh, I didn't lock the downstairs door. Did you lock the downstairs door? I don't think so. Turn around, come back. It takes us forever just to get out of town. There are a lot of folks who live that way in their Christian life. They can't they, they can't get down the road because they're always having to come back and kind of refirm and, and shore this up and needing reassurance or you know if we could use a baseball analogy, they can't get to second base because they have to keep coming back and make sure they touch the bag at first. They just they about to have I'm not sure I touched it. Better make sure and they they can't get around the bases. When I know I'm when I'm saved, I know I'm saved. We'll talk about that later on. How can I be sure I'm saved? And when I know I'm secure in that salvation because he's keeping me, I can move on down the road. I don't have to keep coming back and coming back and reassuring, and we can get on down. Also, there's a boldness that comes in your evangelism, a boldness in witnessing. If you are unsure of your testimony, you'll have an unsure testimony. But when you know that you're saved, you have a relationship with Christ that shapes and defines your entire life. You know He's able to keep what you've committed to Him against that day. Now you can share the gospel with a boldness and a clarity and assurance. So what could be better than being saved? Being sure you're saved. What could be better than being saved and being sure? Knowing that you are secure in your salvation. Not because you're all that but because He's all that. And He's able to keep what you've committed unto Him against that day. The question this morning is, not, not, not have you lost your salvation, could you lose your salvation? The question is, do you have it to start with? Are you saved? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you experienced that miracle of the new birth, this transformation that God performs in the heart and life of the one who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, or if you're not sure, if you have questions about that, or you know you want Jesus, In a moment, I invite you to come. We're going to stand up and sing our hymn of decision. I'll be right here. Come to me and say, Preacher, I need Jesus. I want to be saved, however you want to say it. We'd love to talk with you privately, pray with you if you'd like to, but you can leave here today saved and sure and secure. Say yes to Jesus Christ this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the new birth. We thank you for all the things that we've just been exploring today and last Sunday. God, we thank you for your amazing grace. I pray for the one who's never been saved. Lord, help them to see here and know they need Jesus Christ. They must be born again. Lord, bring them to the cross even now. For the one who has a false assurance, they think they're saved because they did whatever back when. Lord, the truth is they do not know you. You do not know them, and they need Jesus. Lord, help them to see that this morning as well. Just take charge of this time of decision. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.